0: The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.
1: You live every moment as a new moment. Mm. So I think that's the skill in the in the no repeats is to live this moment. Adapt in the moment uh, and adapt in the moment by communicating and adapting. If you can't do it, then you've got to move on to the next thing.
0: Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed license football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name Coach Yes, and today I've got a very special guest with me. Um, my guest today is Rick Shuttleworth. Good afternoon Rick, how are you?
1: Yeah, good thanks mate. Yeah, all good. Glad to be with you.
0: Perfect. Rick, just before we get into uh, into the heart of the discussion, you know, for those that aren't too familiar with yourself and the work that you do, would you mind just giving us a bit of a backdrop of what that is exactly?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, obviously, you know, you and me met um, back at the FA. So um, I I worked as a bit of a consultant at that time. Um, Prior to that, my background has been in sports science. Um, Previously, before that, I was a coach. Uh, I then got into uh, going back to education, really, after being a coach um, in rugby. And then I did a, um, a master's in sports psychology and then uh, looked at a PhD in skill acquisition. So my interest was really a skill acquisition and coaching. Um, yeah, so that's been my passion. Um, I then sort of worked in the area. Um, I sort of moved around a bit between academia and Australian Institute of Sport for a couple of Olympic cycles. And then I came over to work with England Rugby for, um, um, I think it was about five five or six years, uh, a couple of World Cup cycles. Uh, And then uh, after that, I've now been consulting overseas. So currently in Singapore at the moment. Um, And uh, I I sort of work as mentoring um, with coaches from around the world, really. And, And I think that's that's something I like to do passionately on the side, as well as like get deeply into projects for coach development. So it's primarily based around um, helping coaches develop their coaching ability. Um, it's a little bit different from maybe these coach developers that develop the whole person. I, I pretty much stick to just helping them developing their coaching ability, um, uh, You know, practice designs and uh, uh, giving efficient feedback and, and focusing on decision making and, and skill adaptation I think those are my pretty much focus areas.
0: Perfect thank you for that Rick. Rick you, know, you know you touched there obviously we met back in 2017 uh, through, the, through an FA course um, yeah. and one of the key aspects you know that you I guess talked about on, on that particular pr- uh, presentation that you gave was this idea of safe uncertainty um, so I kind of mm-hmm. want to delve a little bit deeper into that today you know I just want to start off by asking you the question What exactly is safe uncertainty when it comes to a learning environment?
1: Yeah, good question. And um, it's something that has been around for some time in the research, um, not necessarily within sport, but uh, a good friend and colleague of mine, Professor Keith Davids, you may know from Sheffield Hallam University. uh, He is um, very uh, knowledgeable within the area of skill acquisition and we were discussing at some point a paper and um, the concept was brought up by another co-author about safe uncertainty and, and it's obviously like most things like a lent idea that you try and adapt to your current thinking and why i quite liked it when we were discussing it was the the current climate within a lot of the coaching uh, particularly within rugby in england at that time was very safe um, and in fact, most of the planning was to create 100% certainty for most of the players. And that that was the way it was. And it was to take that ability to, to really make decisions off the players to a certain degree. Um, and the, um, the certainty was there and the safety was there. So there's no problem with safety and there's no problem with certainty. But in fact, it was just a given that we were trying to create environments that were were making the player feel very stable, very comfortable. Uh, And in fact, they didn't have to do a lot. So they were pretty much on autopilot most of the time. Uh, So the concept of um, unsafe and uncertain and getting those balances was really a question of, yeah, how can we look at the learning environment and create a little bit more uncertainty to raise the player's awareness, to be more open to new possibilities and make new decisions. And, and that's where part of the research that I was doing at that time and, and prior in the PhD was very much about this, what we call the um, adaptive zone, which is this point of uncomfortableness, which sits in between planned decision-making and reactive behaviour. And it's a very unstable area, but it's an area that we looked at within the research um, and looked at it in an applied setting and and saw that the framework for safe uncertainty uh, really fitted that nicely in terms of um, really like an applied framework to help coaches with designing environments based around safety and uncertainty. Um, So yeah, that's where it generally came from. It came from discussions and the research and working with coaches and trying to provide a framework that coaches could, could guide them towards pushing players a little bit more towards uncertainty with safety.
0: Mm. And I think a large part of that safety obviously comes with the aspect of uh, allowing the athlete to make uh, mistakes and not feeling uh, at, you know, uh, in fear of obviously a a backlash of some sort in in, that respect. I think that's a large part of it. So just, you know, just talking to that then, what, what do you think some of the, you know, challenges are for athletes in those situations around that because you, you know you mentioned that word they're autopilot and I think autopilot is very much uh, linked to probably an idea of directive con- con- command style coaching not to say that it's wrong um, but obviously it has its limitations as, as do any of the other methods why do you think athletes are reluctant to I guess make decisions why do you think that's a go-to method for coaches because I think the research would suggest obviously over the years that if they haven't got the experience of doing certain situations, and I guess this is where some of the aspect of, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about the practice design comes into it. If they haven't got mm. experience of game-like um, situations, or just, you know, if, even if we take it outside of the, the coaching context, just in general mm. life, but we haven't experienced something, it's hard for us to really have an appreciation for the, the fundamental variables within it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess from an athlete, athlete development perspective, why is it important that we, do give them that safe uncertainty, and you know what does the research tell us about those players who have been allowed to have that opportunity to have that environment where they can make those decisions and be be experimented with those with those aspects.
1: Yeah, um, you know, you raise a really good point, and I think that there's a lot of questions within that. I think, and when we look at the athlete as the focus here, or the learner, uh, or the performer, we talk about allowing them to make decisions, and I think, like. I will use that terminology every now and then, but you have to check and challenge yourself and sort of say, well, who are we to allow? Uh, Should we be facilitating or enabling them to make better decisions? Is there a wrong decision? Uh, And I think we need to go back a step and actually look at the environment that we're helping create and develop. And actually, if we're really putting the athlete at the center of this, where we do use a lot of this terminology, athlete-centered and athlete-focused, well, If we're going to look at a bit of the theory that underpins this, for example, self-determination theory, which is autonomy and competency and relevance, meaningful actions, then really they have to have a massive part of creating this environment because they need to inhabit the playing environment. They need to own that environment. And so therefore we have to have a, a different role now within that environment where we interact with them slightly differently as well. And our terminology, um, the way we co-design, the way we give instruction and feedback has to or should reflect this. Um, so really, I think, you know, you, you the way you say things is pretty much the way I think as well. And I think I've, l- I've learned to really sort of try and put the responsibility onto the players from the word go. And then a lot of people say to me, how early is it too early to start? giving them this responsibility, well, I don't think it's ever too early. Um, in fact, don't you ever think that when kids are playing in the backyard that they already have that responsibility and we almost take it off them at some stage in a structured environment and then they have to earn it. Um, so for example, I think, um, you know, I think the players, uh, we have to reframe this a little bit in terms of, of mistakes and, 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 and framing this, um, certainty that that creates this almost fear that um, there's something that's pre-expected and they're being measured and compared against something rather than actually using themselves as a benchmark of where they are right now and actually making them feel safe for the way that they inhabit that space, Um, their own intuitive behavior to a problem or a drill that you've given them is their genuine response. And we work with that. We work from that. That brings in this element of coaching, which is using ideas um, rather than telling. Have you thought about this? Oh, I like the way you've tried that. Have 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 you found that? And finding out the why's of their behaviour, and and then therefore what information can support their future behaviour if it needs to change. Uh, you know, we come back to these concepts in the research about affordances. Um, if you're going to create. Uh, a little bit of uncertainty what happens is it highlights this uh, player's awareness or what we call attunement to new affordances new opportunities or possibilities for action and that's the role of practice the role of practice primarily is is to set problems and allow people to facilitate process and find ways to solve those problems that's not to say we we can't prescribe uh, an idea or a suggestion or a future solution and say, play with this, um, adapt it, see how you might may find this to solve this problem. Uh, you may want to use it for something different. So I think, you know, there's many different parts of that continuum a coach can inhabit in terms of the coaching style. But I think that should underpin the needs of the players and if they need to be made slightly more unstable um, more uncertainty they need support as well so you know that that safety really comes with support so the the role of support for the coach is to provide that safety net and that mechanism to say go explore Um, yet we've got to be very careful that we don't critique them or judge them for doing something if we decided to give them that support and go and experiment and explore so with uncertainty comes exploration. Players are going to suddenly explore. If, if we structure them too much and we, we have a lot of plans and everything's predetermined, there's a lot of certainty there and then there's going to be a lot of fear because they're going into the unknown. Um, and that's why I'd always say practice is the role to inject uncertainty into uncertainty into practice. And actually have some ideas to solve problems within the training session itself. So often the role of the coach is to sit back a little bit but observe and observe the responses of the players and how stable or or adaptable they are. And the skill set to do that for players is obviously going to be different. It's going to be a degree of anxiety, um, but they have to communicate, they have to scan and perceive new information, and they have to try and regulate their movements. Uh, differently to what maybe drills were done beforehand that drilled them into certain processes. And they have to feel quite comfortable moving away from that within the training sessions. And that's a skill. Uh, it's definitely a skill of players to feel comfortable moving away and adapting uh, when they see opportunities. Um, so I'll come back to this openness, um, which is pretty much what uncertainty safety does. It really opens them up to these opportunities. And I think that's something where it really complements structure or whatever you want to do a formation it sort of rides on um in parallel and balances it out so i think um, you know i think that's the the role of safe uncertainty is to provide that support but also to provide a little bit of uncertainty to create that um uh, that perceptual awareness over the possibilities that are going to emerge within the session itself Um, we call that a a critical region, um, the adaptive zone. It's a critical area where there's multiple options that become available. If you always hang down the certain area, there's generally one or two certain ways that you already know. And you're not really going to explore much outside of that. And you're not going to probably explore much within it because you already know the process. So you're going to try and just have a very narrow, constrained space that you're going to explore. So that's not too bad at times if you know that you're going to do that maybe in a free kick or um, a certain setup of a structured part of the game. But you need to take that straight away and play with it within a training session and adapt it straight away. Uh, and that's where I think the players need feedback on how well they adapt those things to the problems that they're facing and actually to support them with trying different things. Um As I said, the player skills need to be highly supportive themselves. They need to peer coach each other. They need to give specific feedback. They need to be supporting each other. They need to be guiding each other. And So you do need a learning system that you develop within the team if you're going to sort of coach a bit like this. They need to self-regulate themselves and self-organise. Yeah, so look, there's many skills we can discuss that would support that um, safe uncertainty uh, coaching style.
0: Just kind of, there's a couple things that you talked through that kind of you know I want to kind of pick on a little bit. The first one is obviously that safe uncertainty, uh, learning style and creating that environment. Yeah. Um, it probably it requires a particular type of coaching style as well, one that is heavily focused around maybe a Q&A approach. Um, just to kind of really be more actually, you know, you use the word explore yeah. as much as it's about the coach or the player exploring their, their perceptions and their decision making processes. It's actually for the coach to obviously explore and understand more closely what the player is actually perceiving in those moments. Yeah. Um, and obviously another key word that you used, you know, throughout that, that explanation um, was the word why. Yeah. That why, that why factor. Um no, which brings me on to a couple of things one it, it's great to obviously hear you talk about that stuff there because if i think it really resonates with me specifically in that you know when people ask me, well, what, what's your coaching style what's your philosophy about what's actually for me it's about helping the players understand the why behind what they're doing yeah. um and not just on a a, a philosophical level but actually yeah. looking at right i've made this movement at this particular moment because of this so you know i i, I kind of reframe it for some of the people i work with and I, I refer to them as those the green light and the red light moments uh, so when am I going to do this? When am I going to stop it? And it, it, what's the clear indication? What am I actually perceiving? And I think it's very important on that note to understand, actually, what are the players or the athletes actually seeing in that moment? Because whilst we are looking from the outside in and not really having their full perspective, we can say, mm, that wasn't quite right. And you, you said something earlier, was, is there really a wrong decision? Or actually, no, when you understand the reasons behind why. Um, so if the player starts Sorry. to explain well actually I saw this so I did this then you can actually yeah. have a bit more context and I guess uh, in some ways empathy for the player and their understanding of what was going on um, and then offer an external perspective yeah. so That's right. That I, kind of leads I, me on to talking about the way in which I work is not really about defending, developing players who are I guess independent but they're more almost interdependent they're very self aware and they're really aware of what's going on and what's happening around them what's allowed them or what they've been f- seeing feeling yeah. That's influenced their thinking to yeah. then make a decision. But they're equally um they're confident to actually yeah. then challenge that and be like, mm, this yeah. is what I saw. However, this is where I might need some support because this is the pit where I'm feeling the breakdown. So yeah. a large part of the work for me is getting the players to understand, right? Okay, here's a process, there's a start, that's the end. Where on this process do you feel like you're breaking it down or it's 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 failing you, or that you've actually overcome it? And it's about getting them to understand that process so that we can then work together and say, okay, well, this is the bit that we might want to refine and look at look a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with, with breaking that process down, I think, as long as they know why the process is there. Mm. And when you look at it and you zoom into a part of it, we would call that almost um, like zooming in to part of the process. But to have that contextual understanding is critical, the why. Why, why is that component of this process really critical and important? Because the fact is that if they only know that that reduced part in its isolation, and when it, when it, when it sort of connects, and, and as you say, interdependence, I really like that word, that component depends on all the other components. But it's interdependent. It can't, comp- it can't perform by itself, and it has to in- interact. So I like these words like interdependence. Um, when we talk about connection, we need interconnection. Do you know, you, you, it's all well having a phone. I can connect with you, but I, I need to 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 interconnect, you know, so, so it's two way. Um, so dependence, like in a relationship, you have a partner, you depend on them, but it's interdependent. You can also survive by yourself, actually, but you coexist and you're a better person with them. And I think combinations and team sports are very much the same the sum of the parts are greater than the whole so when we talk about this interconnection and interdependence i think that's where that comes back to affordances affordances and opportunities for action are really um, embellished the more interactions that we have between the components within the team And that's when we start to break down into subsystems and rondos and whatever. You're really trying to highlight the the opportunities available between the subsystems within a greater greater system. And you're trying to raise that awareness of what possibilities may may be um, uh, potentially possible. So, look, I I like the terminology and I think the coaching style there, the Q&A, the questions will... Uh, They don't have to be fluffy and and let's not go down this road that that the questioning approach is is a distinctive approach. It's there to support the player's understanding and their their opportunities for action, their perception and their actions and their cognitions. So the Q&A really has to to be, um, uh, the questions has to be a tool to almost facilitate the the attunements or the awareness of the player raise their awareness and also the coach's awareness as to why that player's made that decision so you can support them and I think that that journey of exploration is one that the coach has to go on with players and feel comfortable with that that actually they're okay to ask players questions and not seem as if they don't always have the answer Um, I, I think it's a myth I think you can go right through to the highest level and still get the credibility from the players even by asking a shitload of questions and not being seen to be the all-knowing guru. And I, I think that's very much on the relationships and the trust that you can develop with your players uh, to, to elicit information from them. Because I think over time they realize that actually you, that you can help them improve and they will divulge critical information to you. And, and I think that's a great way to coach. You don't coach at them, you're coaching with them. And, and and so it's really supportive of of what you were saying you know and um uh, i think that's definitely the questions have to be wrapped around perception and have to be wrapped a little bit around action and have to be a little bit about well what were you thinking so cognition you know and and it's very integrative type questioning approach and also just lastly there i think they need to be sort of open-ended questions to a degree and not too leading um, I think we need to be genuine in the way we interact with the players. We really want answers that could shock us or could surprise us.
0: hundred percent. I totally agree with it. I think one of the questions I tend to ask, um, and, I, and I guess we'll kind of touch on my next point in a second, but is around the idea of not necessarily much what are you, again, what are you seeing or what are you think, but actually what are you feeling? So yeah. in a certain moment, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. how did it feel when that player was two yards away or when that player was six yards away or, you know can, can you start to be attuned with those feelings so then you can start to understand right. okay I, i've got now more information to play with essentially um yeah. and obviously you know my fingers yeah. my, my is this to the players you know if you, if you understand some of these things and you can start to uh, dissect in uh, laser focus on where the issues or the, the areas for development might be then you're halfway there to getting over them if that makes sense if yeah. you, you actually got no awareness of it how are you going to deal with it
1: that that's completely right and i think what you're demonstrating there is a very integrated coaching style you're integrating um you know physical and mental um, emotion uh, emotion can drive behavior you know and, and if i feel scared about what we're doing here but i've never voiced it before mm. i'm going to be slightly reluctant and i'm probably going to be more reactive than than proactive mm. um so I, I think a big role of the coach is to tap into these information sources because they're what's guiding that player. And it could be emotion that guides the player, not their perception. And so they're not seeing stuff that you'd like them to see, um, that it's being overridden. So I think that integrated approach, the physical, the emotional, psychological, the, the, um, uh, the decision-making, the action, I think you, you, you try and coach in a way that really stimulates all of these um, processes and allow players to, to experience anxiety, to experience emotion on on the training pitch Mm -hmm. Uh, and don't, and don't try and intervene too early and have distraction strategies or try and make it perfect deal with it. You know, this is what this is what's going to happen on the weekend. But that's where the safety comes in. That's where the support network comes in. The players need to support that player first before mm-hmm. the coach comes in or the site comes in and starts intervening. Uh, so really, we're trying to support a learning system within the player system that can self-regulate itself, and we need to guide them to the information to can help solve those problems. Uh, but we need to ask really critical questions. Um, you know, in practice, before, during, after.
0: Definitely. I think one of the, one of the biggest things for me within that process as well is that element of trust. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I recently had a, you know, I was fortunate to have a conversation with Shaquille O'Neal, um, a couple of weeks back and he talked about, um, one of the questions I asked him was, what was some of the best coaching that you received? And, you know, he he referred to Phil Jackson Mm -hmm. and he talked about how in, in the big game moments where, you know, Phil put his trust in the players and he talked about he wasn't going to call a timeout on on, 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 on a certain situation. He was just telling them well, look, you're here now, deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in itself is almost that element of, right, I'm trusting you, you've yeah. got this. And, you know, just to kind of on, the, on that, then, you know, I want to kind of talk about, obviously, for the young, for the young athletes or any athlete, to be fair, women are looking at that process of getting them to be more in tune and aware of what's going on. I think it's important to highlight that there isn't a one way of doing it as long as they're understanding of what their process is and actually why, why it's working for them, if that makes sense. So, and I want to come back to something you touched on earlier, this idea of, um, the practice designing and constraints and, and whatnot, and it just, how important is it then the repetition? Because obviously if we're now talking about true game, like, uh, game like situations, it's so random. So anything could occur. Um, now, the way I work in particular would be around this idea of, right, okay, I'm going to pick certain moments of the game and we're going to have repetition around those moments rather than just play games all the time. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not fully convinced on the idea of just playing games and without real purpose behind it. But every practice I do design has to have a game-like element to it. Um, And I design it in a way I've almost got this dial. So we've been talking about those feelings of anxiety, those, you know, those different pressures and those emotions. It's almost like, okay, well, when it's on full, it's very game-like. There's no, you know, there's no limitations, no restrictions in any of the players. Well, actually, I might recognize you might start to be feeling a bit of anxiety or, or or extra pressure, whatever emotion that might be in that moment. So I might dial the pressure down. And the practice, the context of practice, wasn't won't change though. So what might happen mm-hmm. is I might say to you, All right, Rick, you're gonna go one v one against so and so. Um the end goal is for you to beat that person in this one v one area. However, I cannot I can just by observation i'm seeing okay we're struggling on this a little bit so i'll turn the pressure down so what i might say to the defender as an example might be well you can only operate in a particular area of the grid therefore but i might still have the challenge for you rick the challenge for you is i still want you to get through that little area that the opposition player is operating in but they can't operate in the whole area so you've still got that safe zone where you can kind of step away from it but and as as we start to see more success i might try and either make the area bigger that they can operate in or completely yeah. remove any restriction from it eventually. Um, but I'm curious to know from your perspective then how much of how much of that should be done? What are your thoughts on that end? How much repetition of those moments should there be if we're now looking at trying to create game-like moments as well and how much of our session should be focused around actually game-based situations as in actual yeah. games?
1: Yeah. Um- great questions and it's such a a big area it's probably another five podcasts um so i think um let's start off with um let's start off with uh let's talk about the the game scenarios and the game situations because a lot of the questions that even at the fa have been talking about gameplay it, it is unpredictable and it's relatively Random. Uh, I think we like to think that we control an element of what's going on in the match because we're trying to manipulate the defense.
0: Sure. So, okay, so, ask a question on that then, You say it is unpredictable, it is it random? Now, again, I mean, I'm, this might be controversial, but I would argue that actually we can have all the what if moments. Yeah. But actually, it's very rare that we're going to see something that we've not seen before. Whereas yeah. if we're starting to now be ass- assessing all the different variables and the possible outcomes that could occur, mm. are we really getting yeah, random in their choice in what actually occurs? Yeah. But not so much random in the potential outcomes, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think if you look at it as a, as a continuum, and you, I totally agree with you, and, and you would never sort of say there's complete randomness. Um, uh, you know, even chaos, the word chaos, it comes along that continuum to more patterned. There's patterns in chaos. So chaos is a confusing word and it's used incorrectly a lot in sport. But generally we're talking about complete randomness, which you you virtually cannot get in, in team sport. You can't get it in human behavior because generally human behavior is goal-driven. And once you're goal-driven, there's an element of, of pattern behavior that that's, that's objective to, to reach a goal process driven so in effect yeah you you can't get complete randomness and we talk about it quite loosely in skill acquisition and it needs to be questioned a lot Um, there's not many situations you haven't seen in sport where you've got people in front of you uh, but each moment is a completely new moment though that's the thing because we're moving on a timeline and what happens in time you can't predict in the future exactly what's going to happen that's not random that, sure. that you know that that's just we're, we're not sure what's going to happen next but so the just amount on
0: of, that then you talked there about that, and this is, this is one question I often ask coaches you know the idea of repetition yeah if the pressures are going to be different in the game and okay we may be looking at this too uh, microscopically but can you really then create repetition of the situations
1: Hmm. so as you move along that continuum I I liked your you describing your coaching style there where you actually pick moments of the game. And look, this is where some form of pre planning takes place, whether you have performance analysis, whether, you know, your opponents, you know, their tendencies, you look at your performance as a whole complex adaptive system, which includes the opponents. So when you're preparing, you're almost playing with your opponents in training. So you play like you train or you train like you play. Mostly you play like you train. So in effect, really what we're doing is we're trying to create some sort of certainty over what we're doing. Otherwise, why are we doing this? Mm. Um, You don't want complete uncertainty. You want some sort of certainty that what you're doing is helping prepare you to solve problems on the day. But they're not going to exactly be the solutions that you've been practicing and nailing in your drills per se but they are almost foundations they're basic movements that will provide opportunities and options for you so you have to be prepared and ready to launch off those foundations and away from those structures and go for the opportunity so really the repetition is picking moments i like what you said there you're picking moments of certainty that you've done your analysis you know your opponents. And to be honest, you know better than I do in football. A lot of good players already know the opposition. They know players that played against them before. They, they go into games and they know where some of the opportunities are going to exist. Yeah. And you, you, you'd like to think that the training sessions are geared around, <clears throat> a percentage of the training sessions geared around exploiting many of those opportunities and that the system or the plans are geared towards those opportunities. However, you also need to consider a percentage of the training where they're not as well. Mm. And you know, this is where people sort of say about decision-making, it's not fully understood that we can't go in there with too much certainty over what we're going to do to your response to my action. Mm. I have to be very open to this and very prepared to move thinking, okay, we have planned this, we know where the ball should go, but is yes. the situation, does the situation dictate that I need to move the ball there? If it doesn't, sure. it may need to go somewhere else.
0: So I think this kind of links back into what I said earlier about getting the players to understand the why. And in yeah. my case, it's those green light and red light moments, right? This is what should happen, but actually this should happen based on this. Mm. Um, and looking at the variables, looking at the wider context of what's happening, and rather than just focusing on what's happening on the, on the ball itself, it's, what rest, where, yeah. where are the rest of the players? Where, why is he over there? What's he doing? And what does that mean for us? Is he two yards too far to the left? Or whatever that might look like when we're looking at the yeah. more tactical yeah. aspect of things. I guess the question is then, well, the point I wanted to make then is that you're right, there is, a, you know, there's a mass number of outcomes that could occur. However, the word that you, or the, the term that you used earlier around the pattern of behaviour or behavioural mm. patterns, they're based on, xyz and those XYZs have happened enough to to relate that pattern of behavior to this stimulus if that makes sense so Mm. in that respect is in yes there's always the you know there's always going to be anomalies and whatnot but if we go based on patterns there's only so many patterns that do occur in the game um in my opinion uh you know obviously there's a large list of those but the more we become, yeah. uh, you know, uh, familiar with those patterns, we can start yeah. to plan and prepare appropriately around yeah. the potential outcomes and those potential what-if moments.
1: I think, I think in team sports, the particularly the higher you go, it becomes less random. Yeah. Of course, we, we know that, and it, you know, well, less variable. We should be saying less variable. Uh, you know, there's there's determinism and there's there's patterns to variability, but there isn't to randomness. So if we talk about sport as more variable, mm. um, you know, you could have uh serial variability you could have skill a b c a b c a b c it's not random but it's not exactly blocked either it's not skill bbb a, 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 b, b. it's mm. it's a little bit more variable um, but if it's completely uh highly variable that's where there's a bit of uncertainty okay what am i going to do next mm. so that that's where we get repetition but without the repetition i think where we start to look at Okay, it, the, the more experienced you are, you generally know what's gonna happen. We know the way we're gonna play. But what we do is we, we get more nuance. The variability within a narrower range of be- patterns become more important. So you've got, you've got maybe learners are exploring 100 patterns. Maybe the high performers are only doing 10 of those. But around the 10 of those, they have to be highly nuanced. There's gotta be a lot of variation within that one pattern ie you've got to be very adaptable with that one play Uh, maybe the timing sequence maybe uh, an altercation in something in terms of that pattern it looks fairly similar but it can shift Mm. and and uh, it can go fast in the preparatory stage and the execution stage it goes normal speed and the execution it slows right down so that can look quite deceptive but it's the same pattern so Um, you you have to look at these parameters of control in in the way patterns are made up of coordination of Mm. many different parts. The way you control that coordination can vary to deceive and disguise Mm. and to hide or to send out opportunities that look predictable to opponents. And then suddenly you change or you speed up deceptive and disguise. So coaching should allow players to use patterns, i.e. coordination, and control it in different ways to be receptive to their opponents and those interactions. So the interactions are causing you to adapt your patterns. And they are highly skilled players. Mm. They're very highly adaptive, but they, they like to operate in that adaptive zone, which is where I, t- I talked about earlier. If they're not in there, they get bored. Or, or they start to be misbehaving or, you know, they they just start to do silly things often because the environment is not challenging enough for them where they actually need that stimulus and they need the pressure. Other players aren't always the same. They like to sit outside of that, but the repetition I think comes earlier to what you were saying is critical is you don't always need to see and repeat and then stimulus and then get the direct response. It's not if and when coaching all the time. If you see this, then you do this. That, that's treating, I think, the player with some disrespect because it, the defense can see that. You know, they can see what you're seeing. It, it, it's a tactical warfare adaptation going on here. It, you have to learn to co adapt and exist and, and, and adapt yourself to anything that's, that's showcased in front. And with that, you need to have a framework in place where players can continually adjust and regulate. Uh, constantly. So I think with that, you take moments out of the game, you can definitely have repetition. And the repetition could be a repetition of an outcome. So right, guys, we're doing this uh, drilling of a repetition, I I want you to get the ball into this box or into this area. But the picture that you put in front of them is constantly shifting. Yet the process has to adapt. So you're going to get repetition of an outcome but you'll get a variation in the process. You could have repetition of a process. Yeah. So you repeat a drill and you repeat the ball patterns of the movement, take mm. away the defense, pacify it. You're going to get the outcome then becomes the process. Mm. So really you're looking at repetition with repetition there. 100%. And yeah, and you may want to put them in there because your objective is coordination. You want to mm. coordinate yourselves and time off each other. Once you bring in the stimulus or information from your opponents, what it does is it starts to um, destructure your timing sequences. So your coordination starts to falter a bit because you haven't learned to control it under variation with information from opponents. And that's critical. And that's where I've spent a, a lot of my period in the last 15 years working with coaches around really control of coordination.
0: So I guess on that note then, you know, the question I have is, uh, and I know I certainly know what I feel about this, but um, it'd be interesting to know what you think and what the research suggests is. What are your views on unopposed versus opposed practice? And uh, by opposed, I mean any 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 form of opposition, whether that's dialed down or fully opposed. Um, yeah, because I of think we could go down just... the un- unopposed route to kind of set some foundations. Um, yeah. My 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 thing is is what well, I don't think it's wrong. However, I don't think it's the most efficient use of time. And if I'm going to do it unopposed, I need to provide as much context to the scenario of the game as possible. So as an example, yeah. if I'm playing the pass to someone, I'm probably, or if I'm asking someone to play a pass rather, right, I want you to play this part as if this player over here is three yards from you on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. And then get you to start thinking, right, yeah. what, what does that process feel like? What does that look like? Yeah. might that end up being, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah. I, you know, part of my role has been uh, as, as working in, in skill acquisition is to observe coaches and, and a lot of the observation I've noticed, if they go into unopposed, um, and it's not wrong, as you say, it, it's just a way, it's just what It is what it is. Okay, we've got no opponent here. So who am, who am I to say you shouldn't train opposed and unopposed? I don't agree with those sort of debates, to be honest. So I think, um, okay, you've got a ball with a player, um, a player with a ball, so there's no one in front of you. So you'd like to think that they're going to go and penetrate. <laughs> they're going to run forward because the principle <laughs> of play would, would dictate that. So um, I, I think with that, you find coaches starting to give information an instruction that tries to create a context. And you start to hear them talk about, hey, why are you doing that? Oh, just, just look, pretend there's a player in front of you or or think it's this situation and scenario. So you'll find them stopping the training session and actually trying to recreate a context for the player because there's no one in front of them to interact with or around them to create that context. So I'm not saying it's wrong to be unopposed, it's not. Um, it's correct and it's right if you're working on coordination, maybe of ball mastery or dribbling, let's just say, uh, you want you want someone to take the ball up the field and the defensive all uh, um, set parking the bus back there and you've got 50 metres in front of you. Well, you know you're unopposed pretty much, aren't you? So you're going to be taking it up. I think it depends what your outcome is. If it's on coordination, like your body movement, your passing then I think you can focus on that unopposed to certain degrees. Um, once you bring in the whole system, which means opponents, they provide the information that helps you regulate now your coordination and it helps you control the way you play as a formation, i.e. support, and how you penetrate and where you penetrate. And so I think that's vital information and, uh, that players need to perceive in training. And we do need to scale that into training Um, And that's a really hard thing to do, but good coaches can do it really well. Um, And that's where we bring in the perception that the player's perception of perceiving where to look, what information uh, should I be, should help me for for solving these problems. And Mm. I think with prescriptive coaching, we tend to cue a lot. So it's pre-planned information. We go searching for information that's probably not there, but we want it to be there. You give a bloke or a girl a hammer, they're going to look for nails. Okay, so if you do that too much, they may miss another opportunity. Uh, you know, they miss, miss. You know, you could have given them a screwdriver, a Swiss penknife. They they could have solved many problems if you if you let them do that. So I think really, the you know the the ability of a, a player to perceive is critical in every training session, and that's not always cueing that can be emergent so really active search and active scanning on a pitch and training I think is critical that you need a percentage of training which I've heard a lot of coaches saying why aren't you scanning head up head up looking over here well the players don't, don't feel there's a need to do that you haven't designed training that that creates a need for them to want to scan there so you know why are you blaming the play um, 100%. It, it, yeah.
0: yeah I think I think, think so yeah go on no, I was just going to say just on that, I think, you know, it's important, obviously, for the coaches to maybe help the players understand, right, what they should be scanning for. Because, you know, I come across a lot of coaches, you know, they encourage the athlete to scan and look around and whatnot, but they maybe don't give them much reference to what we're actually looking for. You know, how many amount of times I've seen sessions take place where this, yeah, just check your shoulder. Okay, well, I'll check my shoulder because you're telling me to, rather than me actually needing to or understanding why I'm doing it, or more importantly, what i'm actually scanning for because if i know what i'm scanning for then i might realize i don't actually need to check my shoulder to do that because i can just adjust my body shape and allow myself to see all that in one shot if that makes sense
1: yeah and i think that's probably where you know in coaching we can actually we can simplify out of a uh, a complex context so in, in a training session we may we may stop it we may freeze it uh, I think there's a classic example of Pep Guardiola and uh, was it Sterling, where yeah. where he stops him and he turns him sideways, mm. and he and he said, "Look, mate, if you turn sideways, you know, and and you couldn't even listen to Pep, but you know what he's doing is he's creating that level of attunement. So if you if you listen to what I was saying earlier, we talked about perception, action. That's mm. that's this role of action is integrated into perception, perception is integrated into action. So when when he turns Sterling. He, he, he said, act this way. So he turned them physically. Okay, you can say that's prescriptive, and it is. But what happens is, is when he turns them that way, he opens them up to new information. Mm. So now Sterling's like looking like this. Oh, wow, there's a space behind me, but I never would have seen it if I had my back to it looking this way. So he was turned this way. So now he's acted in this way. It's affected his perception. His perception now has informed him that he can act in a different way. to to exploit this new possibility for action. So that can only happen sometimes in cases where you actually inform the player in terms of where to look and what to look for. So if the game doesn't teach you that and your teammates aren't helping guide your search and your opponents aren't giving you the answer, like saying, hey, there's a space in behind me. Why don't you kick it behind me? Because you could score a goal. They're not gonna tell you that, but they're gonna leave opportunities to invite you. And if you don't accept them, then they can't help you win the game because they're going to take those opportunities away from you. So the mm. role really is to look for those spaces and invitations. You have to accept them, but they could be deceptive as well. Like I might give you an opportunity and close it down knowing that you may take it. Mm. So, mm. Uh, and then it puts you in a bad situation. I dispossess you and then we counterattack. Um, so I think, Scanning and looking for opportunities is a process you need to go through with teammates and opponents where we do guide their search for opportunities and, and, and look for certainty within certain narrow areas of opportunity. Um, but I think the role of practice is really for players to go outside of that a little bit as well, um, not just stay within that narrow search. Um, and the role of the coach is to, to direct search as well. So really, it's. I think Keith Davids wrote a nice chapter in his original skill acquisition book on directing search. Mm. And I, I like it because you can either tell a player or you can say, hey, mate, where do you think the opportunity is? Um, mm. And you're sort of directing their, their visual search. And then they're interpreting that, that, that meaningful information through action mm. and they're exploring mm. it. And they need time and practice to do that. So I, I think even at the high expert elite player level, there is a high degree of exploration going on within narrower ranges of search. As you said, quite rightly, I think there's, there's less patterns, but there's a high amount of exploration going on in, in a narrower range of variation within them. And so I can show you a pattern And you think, oh, this is going to happen, but it's going to give me two or three options within that pattern or four options within that pattern. And I have to be very good at it. Whereas a novice player would only have one option for that one pattern. And if you stamp it out, I'm going to have to totally change my whole skill to a a different thing. So that's where I think novices differ. They they don't see the granular opportunities, the fine opportunities within those patterns that, Mm. that are available to them. So...
0: So, okay, it's just on that, you know, kind of to bring us back to the idea of safe uncertainty and the style of the style of coaching that's required to support that. But what are the types yeah. of questions that we want the players to start to consider uh, in that process, and or more so the coaches alongside that to think about asking the players?
1: Yeah, um, I think it's you, you can look at a timeline. So, if you're going to really um, talk to a player and give them information. I would work on a timeline generally. Uh, this is what I would normally talk to coaches about. So if you look at a timeline and we're moving along the timeline in real time, well, that point's always shifting. Mm. And I think you need to stay in real time as a coach and as a player as much as you can, um, even in performance. And and don't, don't go too far ahead and don't go too far back. If you go too far ahead, you're anticipating too far ahead. And you take yourself out of the game. If if you have made a mistake, you start reflecting, you're going to be reacting and you're going to be behind the pace. Right. I think you need to be in the moment. And as a coach, you need to be in the moment with the players and it can be very taxing in training. So when you give information, I think it's really good to prime yourself a little bit as a coach. What are some of the questions I can ask in the moment? What are some of the questions that I can ask which will perturb or raise awareness before the moment? And then also, what questions can I ask maybe after the moment? So literally in training session, maybe blow the whistle, guys, guys in here, as the the attackers are walking back to their starting positions, they could be asking each other or you could be asking them questions, guys, why didn't it work out the right right hand side there where we moved it from side to side and then we try to penetrate through? Um, That's where I think the the reflective questions straight after are really helpful. In the moment questions could be um, prompting certain actions and scanning behavior. So generally, um, you know, where's the space? Where's the space? And you're asking them a question which doesn't need a direct answer. What it does, you need to show me the answer by the way you're moving the ball on the pitch. Where's the space? Where's the space? And those sort of questions are really good because, you give the answer through the game, that the game will give you the answer and you've got to answer the coach through action, not verbal. Reflection is more verbal. It's after the moment. It's more cognitive. You have to reflect and think and use memory in the moment. I can hear you and the coach is priming me. Um, use, where's the width? Where's the width? It doesn't mean you have to use width. It means, Oh, is width going to provide me an opportunity. And if you think it is, then you move wider. If you don't think it is, then you go narrow. You don't have to follow the instruction. It's a prompt. So I think in the moment, coaching is critical to change behavior. If you feel that you need to raise the awareness of players to opportunities. And then, therefore, in before the moment, uh, I think is critical as well. How do you use any information to prepare players before the moment? You can use things like analogies. Um you, you can have analogies which create this emotion and feeling and it almost pre prepares players to look for opportunities before they actually happen. And that, that, that's really nice as well. And, and I like those sort of type uh, information. Um, you know, again, it's a question. You can shout an analogy out there. It, it's a it's a one worder, but it has many meanings. Yeah. And I will answer that through now the way we play over the next five, six seconds. So sure. if it's a transition and you want a five second counter attack, well, you know, you may have a word that, that just inspires a high press really quickly, but it has dozens of actions which mean something to players. Um, and that analogy will happen before the transition takes place and one of the players can see it happening. And everybody then regulates off it. And then you get a quick transition, a a great counter-attack. So I think that's more information before the moment. Mm. Um, It's anticipatory, uh, but you don't want to go too far ahead and get caught out. You want to play the moment still as well. Um, But again, that's the sort of games that you, the repetition that you need in your designer games Mm. to, to create the mistakes. Because don't forget the role of the coach is to create uncertainty and trip the players up. You want them. To anticipate too far ahead because yeah. they'll learn not to sure. and they'll learn sure. not to do that in the game and otherwise they're going to make make those mistakes in the game so you want them to over anticipate you want them to under anticipate so they find that fine-tuned area to be mm-hmm. able to make those decisions uh within the matches
0: certainly i think you know what you said they're kind of for me the underlying message there is if they are over anticipating it's because they are actually assessing what's happening they're actually paying attention. And I think that attention is so deep. They actually, that's when they yeah. realize, actually, that's going too far. We've missed out yes. A, B, C, but we've gone straight to D. Um, so I think, that, I think yeah. that, that bit is really key for me.
1: Yeah, I think what you've nailed there are two things, uh, intention and attention. Mm. So the, the two are tightly coupled. So really what you're coaching within players is intentionality. Yeah, and 100%. that's really what you're doing. You know, And that intentionality drives where they attend to. Of course. And so they're, they're going to scan, they're going to look for information and pay attention to it to support their intentions. And that's really our role as a coach is to mm. try and create that tight link between the players. So if you were to, say, freeze frame, every player should have a similar intentionality mm. in mm. any moment in the game. But it's very hard to coach like that because they can't all verbally respond during training. Oh, coach, I'm thinking... Nurse, we should be doing this. I don't know why we've moved it to the right. It should have be been coming to the left. Mm. But the game, life doesn't happen like that. It's moment to moment to moment. So what we need to do is regulate and create um, a sense of opportunity, which is collective. It's shared understanding between players from moment to moment to moment. And I and I think that's coaching style to suit that would be something really interesting, I think, um, when you fully explore that.
0: Definitely. You know, you talk there a lot about quite in depth around the different aspects of obviously trying to help the players develop that attention to detail and um, yeah. that that aspect of intentionality and attention. Um, I think those are two very key points, and I'm sure we can kind of go on for hours around this sort of stuff, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, it probably, it probably is a, a, an opportunity for potentially later down the line for a part two, three, four, and five, if it, if it, depending on how much detail we want to go into. But um, I just want to kind of bring it back to the, obviously the idea of safe uncertainty again then, you know, it, just to kind of, as we start to wind down and wrap, wrap up, would you guys just kind of maybe go through us for some maybe go to how to steps um for the listeners and viewers to consider when trying to create that environment for safe uncertainty
1: yeah sure um i think i guess a a good way of thinking about it for myself anyway and and it's just uh, something that I that I've played with for for a few years in developing frameworks that that support what I try and do as a as a practitioner and also a sports scientist and somebody who supports coaches and and I think a lot of it comes from the evidence um, which is empirical research but a lot comes from um, the uh, the ex, uh, experiential knowledge which is picked up through listening to coaches, my own coaching, and, and just the experiences I've had with, with um, practitioners. So I think a lot of that is, well, how do you actually um, uh, create environments that, that, that um, lend players to, to try and feel comfortable in the uncomfortable zone? So with elements of uncertainty, and we know that anxiety um, through the research is actually needed to a degree for, for players to become quite responsive and open. Uh, but we don't want them over anxious so I think that's something there we're we're really trying to focus on and an element of uncertainty means not being able to completely predict what we need to do in the the immediate future and the more we give clear instruction in terms of the outcome and the process I think that lays to rest and and often lessens the awareness of a player prior, prior to engaging in action I'll give you a quick example. If you were to lay the markers out for a one-on-one for the player, um, they're pretty much going to scan you while you're laying out the markers. Going, um, why is he putting them there? Why is he putting them there? And then suddenly they'll look up and um, they they will see that space. Um, and I think if you were to suddenly give four markers to the player and say, right, it's one-on-one, how much space do you need? Put the markers down. Uh He'll be like, okay, ooh, crikey. And then what's he going to scan? Probably he's going to perceive his defender. Shit, I'm, I'm playing against oh, it's him. Crikey. I might need a bit more room or less room. So now what he's doing, he's owning his environment. He's inhabiting his environment. He's inherited the problem. And now he has to come up with a strategy. And he has to own it. Is not something that you've worked on and he disowns like a, a game plan. Oh, that was, didn't work. It was the coach's problem. It was a shit game plan. This is something he has to come up with on a one-on-one because he owns the space now. He's bought into the problem. So now you've got to go in support mode. Uh, you've really got to support this because there's going to be an element of uncertainty. But what creates the certainty is a lot of what you've worked on in the past, agility, Deception, disguise, ball control, mastery, a lot of those skills now will map themselves into that context and that problem. So I think that's where a lot of the certainty comes into it, you make them feel secure. Mate, mate you're gifted. You've got a lot of tools in that toolbox there, mate, you know, and, and see how you can use them. Uh, I think that element of support is critical in these areas. But what we need to look at here is an element of, of, of variation and variability. So we need to make sure the repetition without repetition is, is, is pretty much at the forefront. So the first off, you could look at the what's the purpose? Um, what's the purpose of what we're doing here? Um, is it process? Is it outcome? Um, well, in the one-on-one, the outcome is to beat that player. As you said before, that's pretty obvious to get in behind him, exploit the space. But how he's going to do that, it's pretty uncertain. But he may be comfortable in a one-on-one because he's done it hundreds of times before. Um, it's not like it's new. So maybe he's not that anxious about it. But you put up a different defender every time and he doesn't know which defender you're going to throw against him. And everyone's watching him and there's a lot of uh, pressure on him In consequence, then geez, he's gonna really uh, pay a bit of attention there and uh, his intentions are are gonna have to be at the forefront. So the purpose, I think, whether it's process or outcome is critical to highlight as a coach and you can make it certain and tell them or you can make it uncertain. Uh, So they're not quite sure what the outcome is or the process is And, and, and that's one way of creating a little bit of uncertainty in the environment. One way of doing that uh, in training is having no repeats. You only get to do things once and practice, and then you've got to shift and move on. And a lot of players don't like that because they want comfort in, can we do it again? Because it didn't work. No, next one. And they're playing on Saturday, and this is their final training session, and they're like, crikey.
0: just, Just on that then. That one time is it literally? You know, can you give me a bit of context. Is that, is that literally what we'll have like a maybe a, a series of uh, contexts or scenarios that we're going to work on, right? But this is the one one goal. Let's try it. Do we yeah. still review and reflect? Do we just move straight on to the next one? And yeah, like? so I think
1: I, I think with this, it, if you look at it in context, um, it would be more to do with the end of the week and um, the more performance end of the week. If you look at the early on the week, you've got more exploration more learning Mm. so that's where okay the consequence ain't so high let's explore this move and see what opportunities are available so it's a degree of working together and exploring more time less pressure on less uh, emphasis on the outcome Mm. consequence Mm. towards the end of the week well we've narrowed it down well we're going to do three plays here and there's a few options off each we know the opposition are pretty much going to head down this route, so we're, we're going to focus on these three plays. And what that does is it, it does reduce the amount of options available to players so they can focus on a few, and, and, and that happens in high-level sport. I think what we're trying to say here is, okay, well, to prepare players fully with safety and uncertainty, the safety is you've practised all of these options before, early in the week. However, Thursday in training, you're only going to get one shot at this, and I'm working with the defence. So whatever picture you see, you're only going to get to practice this once. And if, if once we play through it, we're going to move on to a different scenario, a different context. And you won't get to repeat that again. Uh, I'll, it's probably more structured parts of the game. If you were to look at, say, a free kick move or a corner, um, you only get to do that once in terms of your starting formation. And they move off and try and lose their defenders uh, and, and try and get a header into the goal. They only do it once. And then that's it you move to a different play they're not quite comfortable unless they can do that three or four times and get it right because if the ball didn't go into the back of the goal and things didn't go perfect well we shouldn't end on that note Mm. geez we want to get it right before we leave well in fact actually it's not too bad if you didn't get it right and you leave it at that point because the players walk away thinking hmm, they are tuning to that moment Mm. and i think that you know they feel next time around they want to nail that so their awareness and their attunement to what's really relevant uh, is heightened. So I think the no repeats obviously in football or a more dynamic sport like that, it's harder to monitor. Um, But in, in, in scenarios and training where you've got a distinctive starting um, point and an end point, you can still do that scenario, but you only do it once. And whatever way it turns out, that's it. And after one minute we're finishing it. Mm. So then we move on. And what happens is I think, mentally and cognitively the players become more adjusted to letting mm-hmm. letting it go fr- letting it go straight after moving on what next right. okay well it, it wasn't perfect and we couldn't fix it in the moment but let's it's move on nice. to the next nice, yeah. yeah and yeah. that's like a dynamic game anyway but I think sure. what we do is we make players feel too reassure them and secure in that like hey you put a second third fourth fifth chance here to nail it and that's a bit of insecurity because when you get yeah. into match time, you live every moment as a new moment. Mm. So I think that's the skill in the in the no repeats is to live this moment. Adapt right. in the moment uh, and adapt in the moment by communicating and adapting. If you can't do it, then you've got to move on to the next thing. Mm. And what happens is it trains your, your train of thought as well to perceive the next bit of information for what you need to do next yeah. rather than dwelling on what's just happened. So you learn to stay in the moment the more you do that sort of training.
0: Definitely. Not. Um, it's very interesting the way you looking at it. I think it's definitely something I'll, I'll look to implement and try out going forward as well. Um, yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think there is, you know, when that element of we yeah, are, we're going to get another go at this, we're going to get another go at this. It almost is uh, breeding that insecurity and and, and saying no, it's okay. Actually, no, we want you to be more attuned to the fact that actually it, it, in some ways, it's not okay. We want you to yeah. get it right. The first time you go into it and not think, okay, I'm going to use this as a warm up for the next one because that next one yeah. might never come in again. game. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, look, even if it's when you say no repeats, it's only one go, maybe it's a time constraint. You've got like only two minutes to make this work. Yeah. Do you know? But when you do that, you've got to be quite careful because you don't want the defence to know because they, they know what's happening and what you're working on and they'll try and stamp it out straight away. Yes. So you need to keep this as a tactical warfare mm. where, where you're not priming both teams. It, it's 100%. a tactical warfare. So I think that element of decision-making has to be unprimed for, for both teams. Uh, you can prime it, an element on the attacking team, but they need to, to look for the opportunities when to apply that. Not they go out forcing it because that's not a decision. Yeah. They're going out to do something ahead of time. So it's anticipatory, you're training there. Sure. Um, and, and that's where you start to sell information for free and you're telling the defense what you're doing. Sure. Uh, and they will stamp you out a bit. And it's very hard to play like that. So mm-hmm. um, I think some of the other things you vary are, are the, <laughs> you know, the starting positions in in most of what you do. Uh, I think to train ugly is a, is a term coined uh, previously by an Aussie, Scotty Wiseman, particularly in rugby where perfect practice, you want everyone to be in perfect positions, but in fact, you do your best to drag them out of those positions and carry on playing. 100%. And. They get more used to that. And I think um, if you start a drill, we tend to have markers or starting positions. In fact, if you could do that for for learners or novices, but I think you should move away from that where players start to learn, okay, how do I regulate my start position for this particular drill game? Well, look at reference points, which generally are dynamic, i.e. they're moving opponents rather than fixed markers or lines. And I think we, we need to start to, Look at that a little bit more and it can be messy at the beginning. But what happens is they create that uh, self-organization on the run. So they start to create a little bit of sense of, of, of order from the mess that's started off. And that sense of urgency hits them right at the beginning rather than actually slowly getting into a game that starts mm-hmm. perfectly. And then just gets messy later on. And I think that's something you would probably drip on at the beginning of a session and get them used to that really early on uh, and use it at the beginning of anything, which is uh, a a small side of game. So players are coming in from slightly odd angles, um, but you get, you get them into organizing quite quickly all the time from that element of slight chaos.
0: Mm. I think that's Um, a great point. I think, you know, certainly it challenges them what I think gives you an opportunity to even assess are they, are they, are they even paying attention to where they are and where they now need to get to and yeah. how that might impact the the process rather than the outcome element of it. So that's yeah. an example, if I'm yeah. three yards left, rather than three yards ahead, actually yes. it's a different movement pattern. Um, and
1: you know, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and working defense helps train attack in a, in a dynamic system for this approach. You're obviously working, let's just say, with attack, but pretty much you can coach them through the defence. So through whatever, whatever problems and and uh, pictures, dynamic time series pictures the defence are throwing up, and you can work through that like a co-coach. Or mm. uh, and I think you can elicit certain behaviours with your attack team if you're working through the other half of the system, um, which is the defence and the opponents, and vice versa. You know, and that's where this feedback comes back in training sessions, where I think. OK, I've, listen, I've, I've now told you as a coach what we're looking for, and this is the role of the session. But in fact, the players have perceived that, and now they've started the game, it's not happening. Uh-huh. Why is the coach doing this? So you've actually manipulated their perception wrongly, deliberately. How quickly do they figure that out? So we do a fair bit in rugby where maybe the number 10 will give a call and play a play, and that play doesn't suit the defensive system what are they going to do? Just be quiet and play the play? Or is some player going to go, hey, and override it and say, no, 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 let's chip in behind. The space is in behind. And so yeah. they adapt on the run. So what you're looking at there is is creating elements of uncertainty by the information you give them as a coach now to see how well they
0: Pick up on it. You know,
1: scan the environment yeah. to, to adapt. And that that may be no different to off the pitch, where you get a bus to turn up deliberately 10 minutes late when you told them the time it's going to turn up and then you hang back just to observe and see how they regulate off that. Because if they panic a bit and they like the precision, things don't happen in the world always according yeah. to plan. So um, I, I think you need to try and element that into your training sessions a little bit and um, the key players will, will reattune. Um, and I think it's a process of what we call educating their attention. Educational attention—that to me is a curriculum. Uh, you're 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 shaping people's intentions and influencing them, and you're educating their attention. That's all we're really doing. Mm. Uh, and good, good, good football, good rugby, good sports coaches uh, will be doing that in their own style. But pretty much they're doing that, and and I think they have their own unique styles of doing it. And a big, big part of it is you started off was with trust with relationships because we're coaching people. Um, If you don't know the person, well, you could have all these strategies and they ain't really going to work because you've got someone there who's not going to be receptive to that information and perceive it in a way that's going to be functional. So I definitely think that the integrated approach is needed if you're going to create a little bit of safety and uncertainty. You have to be a quite holistic, all-rounded coach. you know, that, that can be what we call trans, uh, transformational leadership, almost sort of switching a little bit here and there. Maybe the players need a bit more stability. I'll give them a bit more clarity and direction. Now I'm, I'm not going to give them that clarity and direction. They need to come up with themselves. And I'm going to create a little bit of a, a mess here for them. Okay, I'm going to tell them one thing, but suddenly it's not going to happen. Uh, and then you go into support mode and see how the responses is. Uh, and they're, they're in a learning pit now. It's in a very deep learning pit where they're going to stress out a little bit, but that's where they develop those tools to be able to get out of that and actually improve their performances. And from that, you develop those resiliences, you develop that confidence in being able to overcome any any sort of uncertainties around you. But you have to go on that journey with them as a coach and live it. And it's tiring. Uh, you know, when you see these top coaches and you commit to coaching a team, it's it's a big commitment emotionally uh, you know it's not about do you are you tactically astute as a coach and then if you've not got that knowledge then you're going to be a great coach it, it, that's a dinner ticket to coach that's only to get you through the entrance gate you know after that you, you have to ride the moments and i think that's a beautiful part of coaching is everything what we've talked about today is how do, how do you manage uncertainty you know how do you how do you manage um safety you probably need some players to be unsafe. Like, have they ever been trained in dealing with the media? If they haven't, and you know that someone's hanging outside the stadium and that player's going to get interviewed and he's only 16 and he's going to say all the wrong stuff, but you let him get out there and he says all the wrong stuff, are you going to nail him? Are you going to critique him? Mm. Are you going to say, hey, how did that go? You know, and you use it as a learning moment. You come in and support the guy. And say, well, what did you learn from that that moment there? And I think if you can manage those um, those learning moments, I think within your pathways and academies, I think that's that's a fantastic way that a player can really develop those skills necessary through through the safety and support that, that's needed and through the uncertainty, which is almost managed uncertainty within your program. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Well look, Rick, you know, some fantastic points there and I say you've given me lots to think about and both in terms of further developing my own coaching uh, style and, you know, just looking at how that might affect the different environments that I work in and and other coaches that I might be supporting myself. Um, But just, you know, just on that, then, you know, if there is any points of discussion that we've had today or even beyond that, that people want to kind of question further or and find out more about, is there some way they can get in touch with you to do that?
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. And look, if they can't contact me through yourself um you know i'm available on 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 twitter um at skillac uh, s-k-i-l-l-a-c-q at skillac or uh, my email address which i can post to you and you have um it's uh what is it it's richard.j.shuttleworth at gmail.com um, yeah, so they, you contact me, and, and you know I love those interactions with coaches. It's some of the discussions that we have, you know, like yourself as well. Those chats we have at the FA, I think those those are really stimulating because they happen outside of the formal. Mm. Presentations they happen in between during those informal moments and those interactions. And that's what we're trying to create for players is outside of those formal training sessions, those interactions where they talk about what did we just do at training? How did you find that? And I loved it because you started this whole interview with um, I wonder how the players feel about this. And we're going to come back to that to end our interview because I think that's critical. You need to elicit that because that's really what will support them driving their, their, their behavior and supporting their behavior. Are they, do, do they not feel good about this? Are they feeling that this is what's needed and they're moving in a way that's needed? Then if they are, you're gonna get transfer into performance. You will get that transfer into the match. If it's not, you'll, you'll see a reluctance and they'll move in a slightly rigid way and won't necessarily respond. So I think that intuitive feel uh, needs to be brought out of the player within training and and really respected and supported yeah so i think you know you, you started off with that great point i just wanted to highlight that to finish with i think it's a, a really pertinent point for for this style of of coaching
0: Brilliant. yeah look rick thank you again for your time today It's been very insightful for me i'm sure it will be for the listeners and viewers and um i'm sure you're probably going to get a flood of messages coming into you off the back of this to kind of get more information but um thank you again for your time no worries um, really enjoyed it. you take care okay okay well there you have it guys another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Network we look forward to hearing from you Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.